there's a way of telling a story, right? There's a way of getting people to lean in and to give you their time and their consideration and to, and to keep them on the hook. And I feel like a lot of people, whether they're writing or they're speaking, they don't think about, they, they don't have empathy for the listener. And so that's something that I've, I've really tried to do is make sure that I put myself in the shoes of a listener and I think about, okay, if I was listening to a, a pitch about sheets and giggles, what would I expect? What would I be disappointed in if it wasn't there? What would I be excited about if it was? Tap into the minds of change makers creating real impact on people and our planet. It's time to live your purpose. I'm your host, Dale Wilkinson, and this is Good Makers. Hey, what is up? Welcome to episode 53. For my regular listeners, I just want to say how much I appreciate you tuning in every single week. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love you even more if you left a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. This will help other listeners get an idea what this series is all about. And if this is your first time here, you are in the right place. Each week, I speak with a social entrepreneur or thought leader in the social impact space to get a better understanding on the issue that they're working on and how they got involved in the first place. The point of these conversations is to get some actionable advice that you can implement in your own life so you can get that job that you've always wanted or start that business that you've been dreaming about. And this episode is no different. There are so many good takeaways coming up. I speak with Colin McIntosh, founder and CEO of Sheets and Giggles, which is a brand that lives up to its name. They have a whole bunch of fun selling sustainable eucalyptus bedding. We discuss how the idea originated for Sheets and Giggles, which you'll never guess in a million years. He talks about how his love for writing and comedy helped him build a brand that has stood out in what has been a pretty boring category until now. And Colin shares with us his tips on how to effectively capture someone's attention, whether that be a customer, a sales lead, or a recruiter. You're gonna love this episode. So let's jump into my chat with funny man, Colin McIntosh. Colin, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for interviewing me. And it's you're you're a good-looking guy, but you're a lot better looking because I can't see out of my left eye right now. I uh, I know I told you earlier I ripped my cornea, so just excuse me if I I touch it here and there during the interview. Well, that's probably the only reason why you think uh, you're talking to a decent-looking guy. Decent looking guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Eye. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> the classic got to get your eyes examined. No, but I'm excited to be on. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to have you here, buddy. First question: We're going to be talking about sleep and bedding and all, all, all that good stuff. How firm do you like your bed? Uh, that's a great question. I like a firm bed because I have a herniated C4, C5. Uh, and so Ooh. I've got a nerve impingement on my right arm. And so I actually, I'm in my bedroom right now for people that are watch, watching video. I always do these from, from bed. I think it's very on brand. But uh, yeah, firm is, is for me. And if I do too soft, I get that real bad lower back pain, you know, where you're like sinking into, into the bed. What about you? Exactly the same. Yeah. I've actually got a herniated C5. No way. Well. Do, you, do you actually? Oh my God. That's yeah. I used to get epidural injections for them. They got, it got so bad back in the day, but 
I'm um, touch wood. It never, it never got that bad for me, but like anytime I would do a dead, actually, no, it was never when you did like a heavy lift. It, it was, was when you were doing something stupid. I, like I, I just, blew out my back picking up socks last year. And right. so I literally bent over, blew out my back and I couldn't get out of bed for two weeks. And it was awful. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, chronic neck pain, chronic back pain is a real, real pain in the ass. So more power to yep. you, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's interesting, actually. I was just thinking about this the other day. I, I haven't gotten an epidural injection in about two years now. And mm. it's because uh, I've been really focused on back strengthening every day. And then also, uh, I, I get at least seven and a half hours of sleep every night. It's one of the perks yep. of being an entrepreneur is I don't, I make sure that I, I, even if I go to bed at one in the morning, I'm asleep until 8.30. Or if I'm going to bed at two, I'm asleep until 9.30. And that seven and a half hour point is when you get that third non-REM cycle, which is when your body can heal itself. And now how consistent, so you can do that, like you can go to bed at different times and still get the seven, seven that, and a half so that's, so that's, I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking about this with my girlfriend, actually. It's, it's a very weird society that we live in where like you're expected to be at a certain place and do a certain thing for a job at 9am or at 9.30 or whatever time, 8.30, 8, 8 o'clock. But you know, you're, so that's not variable, but your life is variable. So people are going to bed at different hours almost every night, right? They're going to bed some nights at 10, some nights at 11, some nights they, they need to work or do something else. So they go out and they don't go to bed until one or two in the morning, but you're still expected to get up at the same time every day. So yeah, my, my schedule is actually really weird. I go to bed at different times and I wake up at different times almost every single day. And you're working <laughs> from home now at this yeah, point? Right now, yeah, I'm working from home right now. So is the rest of my team. Yeah. And our, our first meeting every day is at 10 a.m. And that's our only meeting of the, of the day. I make sure we do that for my sake <laughs> because I know that some days I'm not getting up till nine or so. You got to get that sleep. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not an early bird. I'm a night owl. Yeah. So your background, you've had experience in sales, business development, recruitment. Mm-hmm. What is the story from going from that experience to bed, to, <laughs> to bed sheets, a founder of a sustainable bed sheet startup. Yeah. So the path to sheets and giggles has been a very weird one. And uh, I, I started my career at the world's largest hedge fund. Uh, I got fired in five months. Then I became a recruiter for the firm that actually hired me there. Then I hired myself at one of my clients in Seattle, moved out to Seattle. And then I ended up moving to Denver about six years ago for an opportunity at a startup uh, that was going through Techstars and did that for a few years, got laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday along with the rest of the team. And then a few weeks later, I started Sheets and, Gigg- Sheets and Giggles. So there, there's a whole bunch of yada yada in there. And I'm happy to go into like why bedding and why bed sheets. But yeah. Please. It's been an odd. It's been an odd career. Super odd career. Well, at what point did did, did bed sheets even cross your cross your mind? Is it because well, what we were just talking about? You you enjoyed getting no. Your sleep I didn't know. And- I didn't know anything about how important sleep was. This has been a total journey for me in terms of understanding sleep and bedding and and home textiles and and it's been a it's really something that I've dove, dove into over the last now three and a half years. I've I've been at this company. Uh, since I started it. And so in terms of why there's, there's, so the first ever time I thought of Sheets and Giggles was actually when I was watching uh, War Dogs, which is a movie with Miles Teller and Jonah Hill. And Miles Teller's character is selling sheets at the back of his pickup. And I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. He hasn't done any customer research. He doesn't know his pricing. He doesn't understand his business model. He doesn't understand his core demographic. You know what? And I turned to my ex-girlfriend, I go, pause the movie. 
And I, <laughs> and I wrote a business plan for a bedsheets company that night because I'm, I'm neurotic. And, <laughs> and so I always think, what's a funny name for X? And I thought, what's a funny name for a bedsheets company? She'd think giggles. That's a funny name. And so I bought the domain and the social handles that night. And then I just, I bought sheetsgiggles.com and we're at sheets giggles everywhere. So those were all available. So I grabbed them because I, I really liked the idea. And then four months later, I got laid off and, and I, I knew it was time to start my own thing. Wow. Okay. So this all, <laughs> this all happened because it's all, it all happened because they happened to make the movie war dogs. Yeah. The whole reason I started a bed sheets company. It's the weirdest founder story you'll ever hear in your life. And, and, and then, you know, I was working in wearable technology in consumer electronics yeah. and I, so I understood pricing theory. I understood the consumer psychology. I understood retail and Amazon and, and direct to consumer and logistics and, and being, you know, I understood how to build a business and we did it wrong at the last company. I understood all the things that we did incorrectly. And so then, you know, with a chip on my shoulder, I said, I want to, okay, I want to be CEO of my own company and these mistakes won't happen. And so I put my money where my mouth was and I started Sheets and Giggles uh, in October, 2017. Wow. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> so during that, like when you had the first idea, you came up with a great name, Sheets and Giggles, and then the four month period until you got let go during that four month period, were you nope, working on it nah, or was nothing. it just an idea? It was just in my business. I, I have a folder called business plans and it's just, it was one of the business plans in the folder. And, um, along with a few others, if anyone's looking to start a business out there, I could probably give you a good idea. <laughs> but so, uh, no, I was just working. I was working my ass off. I was working 12 hours a day, you know, getting for this other company and, um, just killing myself. And, and then, you know, right. uh, we ended up, it ended up not working out. And so basically long story short is I decided I was like, okay, what, what am I best in the world at? And I thought that I, I think that's a question every entrepreneur should ask themselves. And I think I'm best in the world at copy. I think I've always been, I've always loved writing. I'm a good writer. Uh, and I thought, okay, so translate that into a brand. What would it look like? And so I, I made my brand identity map. I made uh, my business overview, my financial model, and I started, I just started writing. I just started writing copy and, and I, and I wanted it to be funny and I wanted it to be unique and different ever because this whole industry is so boring that I really had a, betting. a to oh, betting. Yeah. It's so boring. And, and I, so I basically yeah. had a totally blank canvas to just do something totally off the wall that no one's ever seen before and create something that's visually and, and very striking and very different. Yeah. So were you doing any of the copywriting or the brand work for any of these other companies you were working for? Ironically, no, no, I was doing all. So I'm, I'm also, you know, former recruiter, I'm pretty good at sales. And, and so I was actually yeah. going out and doing all the retail sales. And I was, you know, selling into Target and Brookstone and Best Buy and, you know, T-Mobile. And I was flying all over the country and doing the retail sales. And funny enough, we had we had two full time copywriters on the team. Not me. We had, <laughs> we had we had uh, a brand manager, not me. We had a social media manager, not me. Uh, a head of digital, not me. And now that I've started this company, it's funny. Everybody from that company has been like, "I can't believe we never let you touch the yeah. the website." Or, or and and it was because, uh, truth be told, it was a uh, it was a wearable technology to fight sexual assault and violence, and so it had to be a very serious brand voice. And and even though I can write well, my heart, you know, my my heart was in the company, but in terms of the copy. I do better when I'm writing uh, 
more funny copy. And where did that come from? Where did that skill come from? Yeah, I've always loved writing. I, I've written little short stories. I've like nothing that's published or anything. I used to love writing like essays, like history essays. I, my Shakespeare was my favorite class in college, but I was an econ finance guy. So writing has just been something that's always kind of come more naturally to me. I think my, my parents really encouraged it because when they would notice when I would write things that they were being entertained by them when I was 9, 10, 11, or 12. And they, I mean, maybe they were just being good parents and encouraging me, but they, they seemed to really enjoy it. And I always got a kick out of making people laugh. And so I do stand-up comedy, Oh wow. you know, and uh, I used to be an SAT tutor. So I, I'm like obsessed with like grammar and, and that sort of thing as well. Did that come in handy with your cold email pitches? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say is that when I was a recruiter, uh, one of the things that I loved doing is I loved writing copy that was like also very out there. So, you know, if you're, you're familiar with the amount of open rates on recruiting are very low and response rates are very low, too. So what I would do is instead of, you know, my boss taught me because I was 23 at the time, I didn't know anything. My boss taught me, you know, all right, well, if you need to make one hire a month, then, you know, you need to have 10 or 20 interviews, which means that you need to get 40 responses because half are going to be yes and half are going to be no, which means that at a 10% open rate or response rate, you're going to need to send 400 emails a month. So 100 emails a week, right? That's how recruiters think. And I said, I said, well, what if I just got a higher open rate and a higher response rate? And he said, yeah, I mean, good luck. No, no one's ever like cracked 20% before. And so I started reaching out to only like 10 people a week. But I, what I would do is I would research them. I'd go on their Facebooks. I'd find their Reddits. I would like understand oh, wow. their LinkedIn, of course. And I would find like their interest and things they were doing and building. I'd go on their GitHub and read their code. And then I would like write them this very like personal long email and I ended up getting like 50% response rates in an industry that, that, that's unheard of. And so I was like really honing in on the best people and then only, only reaching out to them in a very different way. And, and I'd always, you know, make it funny too. Yeah. And that would let, so you would be doing like two a day, but like doing really extensive. Exactly. exactly. So you got let go. Was it 100% you were going to start Sheets and Giggles or was there looking for other opportunities? Did you have to get a part-time job before you started? I started an Amazon consultancy on the side. So I, I, reached, out to, I reached out to a company that I knew, or actually a company had reached out to me and they thought I could help them with their Amazon sales because they knew what I was doing in my last company. And so I ended up taking them on for $2,000 a month as a retainer. That was just enough to pay my rent and to eat uh, pasta every night. And then I worked about 10 hours a week on that consultancy. And then I worked another probably, you know, 80 or 90 hours a week on S and G. And I did that for about a year and a half before I cut myself my first paycheck. And, uh, I also went without healthcare for five months while starting S and G. So it was pretty, it was pretty hectic. Yeah. I yeah. bet. During that time period, was that when you were developing the product and w when did it come about that you were going to focus on eucalyptus and did you always want to do sustainable? Oh yeah. From the, so from day one, we were always going to do sustainable bedding. Initially, I thought it was going to be bamboo viscose, but the viscose process uses something called carbon sulfide. So bamboo is actually not very sustainable because carbon sulfide is harmful to environments and workers. And, you know, when you talk about a lot of the bamboo viscose in the world is made in China, 
you, a lot of that's being dumped directly into waterways. And so it's a really big polluter. And so I kept doing materials research. I kept, I kept meeting with manufacturers. I, I spoke with mentors. I, I met people that were doing apparel companies and I asked them for advice and I found a material called eucalyptus lyocell, and it was not very popular in the United States. It was search frequency number like uh, like eucalyptus sheets on Amazon was search frequency number like three hundred thousand. You get that you get that data. It was it was really beautiful. It was like a gorgeous, soft, breathable, uh, very luxurious fabric, very similar to silk in a lot of ways, yeah. but but more breathable. And I just fell in love with it. And as soon as I slept on it, I knew I had to popularize this in the U.S. And now um, eucalyptus sheets is search term number sixty thousand on Amazon since the the two years that we've been uh, really doing this. And very very proud of that. And and we really popularized this concept in the U.S. Going back to you always wanted to do sustainable. Why was that? Yeah, it, I, I think that like just to be completely authentic here and answering your question, like I think it's silly if you're going to start a business and not make it sustainable in today's yeah. day and age. Like I started the company in 2017 and I basically was like, who the hell is going to start a company in 2017 and not make it a sustainable, you know, eco-friendly company? Some people still do. <laughs> but uh, yeah. But no, I think that you have to doing good has to be like baked into the business model from day one. And so from day one, we planted a tree for every order. Uh, you know, from day one, we've done a bunch of different things, don't huge donations to the world wildlife fund. And, uh, we donated $40,000 last year to COVID-19 relief. So we've, we've had a, a really great run of doing, of being successful and, and then also doing good at the same time. And it's just important to me because, you know, you can make money in 87 different ways, but I don't, I don't know why you would choose to do something that you're not not proud of or not that you can't hold your head up high at the end of the day. So, you know, zero plastic packaging. We don't we don't do that thing that every other brand does where, you know, they put the box inside of another box to make sure it's pretty <laughs> when it arrives. Like we just let the UPS beat the shit out of our of our sheets, yeah. you know, out of the box. Like and the sheets are, you know, they're in there in a, in a nap a fabric knapsack that's made from upcycled fabric from our, our factory floor. And so, you know, they get there in one piece, but the box might be a little dinged up. But uh, yeah, everybody else, just that plastic wrap, man, that single use plastic drives me crazy. Yeah, I love it. So that was not the, <laughs> not the plastic. I love the ethos that you have as the, as the company. Was that a lot of uh, upfront work though? Like working out all the packaging, how we're going to ship, all that kind of stuff. Like once you made that decision that we are going to be a sustainable, do good company, that it was kind of no compromise in that. And you'd have to create your own methods of. Yeah, no, it, it was, it was a lot of work up front. I mean, you know, it was, it was just night and day basically being focused on every little detail that the corner tags, the sewing, the stitching. And, you know, luckily our manufacturing partners are, are total at aces. And so we were able to, you know, we, we had 30% fabric rejections in our first batch. We had a big defect in our first production run where, the sheets were ripping at the top seam and that was a nightmare and, and cost us a lot of time and money. And, you know, it's, it's just building a business is a, spe a specific type of self-loathing. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's, what, it's like, it's what you do if you just, you know, you, you like people are always like, Oh, the lifestyle of the entrepreneur is so glamorous. Right. And it's like, yeah, like I can sleep in and you know, like I don't, I don't have to take orders or ask for time off, but like, it's, it's a lot, man. So like get to the point where you're shipping a box full of something that didn't exist and now it does. And you're making yeah. tens of thousands of units every month. Like it, it's, 
you know, it's a lot. Do you take the time to actually sit back and just take stock? I have to, if I don't, if I don't, I, I, so entrepreneurs are super bad at that. That what you just described is like, like enjoying entrepreneurs always move their goal base. So just goal, goal, goal. So they hit one goal, they immediately move on to the next one. And that's exactly, I, I catch myself doing that all the time. Like we, we hit a milestone that I've been chasing for years, which is, you know, $1 million in monthly sales. And I immediately, like I, I, I took time to appreciate it. And then I just remember I immediately was like, what's going to take to get to 2 million a month? Like, right. and that's like, that's crazy. That's like crazy behavior because it's, you know, it's such a month, like a million dollars worth of sheet sets in a month is, is insane. And I have to appreciate that. And so, yeah, all the time I force myself to step back and say, you know, take the time to just appreciate the company that we built, the good that we do. And, and how we make people happy, man. We, we let people sleep better. We make them laugh. Like we, we hit, I, I like to come at this from different angles and I feel like we do a good job of, of putting good into the world from multiple angles. That first production run, how did you fund that? Uh, you did a, a crowdfunding campaign. Was that what? Yep, we did an Indiegogo. So for, for listeners who are familiar with Kickstarter, uh, or Indiegogo. It's just a crowdfunding campaign where we took pre-orders to basically say, hey, this product does not exist yet. Yeah. Would you like it to? And, yeah. then, and, then, and then, you know, people can choose to give you, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks at a time for a sheet set, you know, five months down the road. And we got 2,000 people to back us and, and bring this company to life. Awesome. What was something that you learned from that doing a crowdfunding campaign that maybe you did something wrong and then next time you do a crowdfunding campaign, you'd, you'd know what to do right next time. Oh, I was just talking to somebody about this this morning. I was giving advice to somebody who's doing a crowdfunding campaign. I would have charged higher. I, founders always undervalue their own products. And so I ended up selling sheets that, you know, we now sell for 150 bucks. I think our price was like 80 bucks, which was really, really low. And then uh, the other thing I would do is uh, probably I wouldn't have uh, stopped where I did. I basically only wanted to do $100,000. And so when we got to the point of preparation with our email list where we thought, okay, we've guaranteed ourselves a $100,000 campaign, I kind of shut off the hose of, of email collection and, and we ended up doing $284,000, which is great. But I think if I had kept going, it could have been, it could have been really big. And Why did you shut it off? Were you just like, well, I just, I just knew what we had to do. And I, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to overdo because you can right. also get yourself into a tight spot logistics wise. So we said we were going to ship in August, right? We did the, we did the crowdfund in May. We said we were going to ship in August. We ended up shipping October 1st. We got the first units out the door. So about 30 days late, depending on how you look at it. And we ended up getting the last pre-ordered unit out the door, I think sometime in early December. So it took, you know, even if you have a team of three people, you can really only get two or 300 units out the door on a, on a daily basis. And so I was in there myself every day in Q4 2018, packing boxes, moving pallets and uh, loading and unloading trucks. And, and uh, we got out, uh, you know, all those units and had a good hot our first holiday. And then I made my first employee hires in uh, early 2019. How important is storytelling? You're an excellent 
storyteller. You can tell by uh, the brand that you've built, the copy across all your platforms. I was just looking at your site this morning. You got a Mother's Day promotion and you're saying cool, she's your mom's, mom's hot yeah 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 she's hot but she doesn't have to be yeah yeah <laughs> it's uh it's hilarious uh Thanks. and i heard you in a clubhouse room with saba from Techstars mm-hmm. and yeah sure on, on a, your 13 rules to pitching and i yep. went from that i actually went and watched your Techstars demo pitch oh yeah it's a fun one yeah it's it's great how important has that have you always been a storyteller? You were saying you you did stand-up uh, comedy as well. Is this something that you've just honed from doing business development, sales? You've just been able to tell a better story? Yeah, there like there's a there's a way of telling a story, right? There's a there's a way of getting people to lean in and to give you their time and their consideration and to and to keep them on the hook. And I feel like a lot of people, whether they're writing or they're speaking, they don't think about they, they don't have empathy for the listener. And so that's something that I've, I've really tried to do is make sure that I put myself in the shoes of a listener and I think about, okay, if I was listening to a, a pitch about sheets and giggles, what would I expect? What would I, what would I think is going to come? What would, what would I be disappointed in if it wasn't there? What would I be excited about if it was? And there's a few different things, right? Well, it's got to be funny. Like if this guy's not funny then what the hell is he doing up there? What the hell, what the hell is he doing with this company, right? I got to believe that Colin is a funny guy. So the, so the pitch has to be great. But if I'm asking for investment, I can't make it flippant. I have to also get across that like the, the sheets, you know, the, the brand is funny, but you know, the business is serious. And so that's, that tightrope is very important for me from, like, uh, from a, a storytelling perspective about the company because I'm able to understand what the listeners expecting and looking for. And it's, you know, it's kind of that storytelling thing is like, I, I, I'm very inspired by like authors that I've read. I've read a lot of books when I was a kid, all the classics, you know, uh, some of my favorites are things like Treasure Island and, you know, like Marie Shelley's Frankenstein and a bunch of things that a lot of people will cite you as some of their most influential and favorite books. But, you know, I, I also love reading Jonathan Swift when I was younger, like Gulliver's Travels and, you know, just reading, reading some of these classic authors, you become a better writer just by, by reading, you know, kind of seeing that evolution of the story. And so now, right now, as I'm, as I'm speaking, I'm aware that I'm going on too long and I'm rambling and the audience is probably losing focus. I've already made my point and now I'm making it again, right? So it's also about actively listening to yourself and what you're saying and making sure that you hit that crescendo and climax and then end it and leave them wanting more to, to quote George, George Costanza. <laughs> what would be the advice to anyone listening, whether you know, you're an entrepreneur or not, or you could be writing an email to, to a recruiter, to a founder trying to get a job? Is that the piece of advice you'd leave them with? Like switch shoes with them, think yeah. about mm-hmm. what type of exactly. uh, content you would like to receive from them. Well, th- yeah, think about it. In ter- I'm, a goal- I'm a really goal-based person. So like, I-, I think about it in terms of like, what's the feeling that I want this person to have when they read this? So I, that, that's what I think a lot about copywriting. What do I want this person to feel as they're reading it? When they're opening up the packaging, I want them to smile ear to ear. I want to flood their brain with dopamine. I want to reinforce the decision that they made was a good one. When someone's reading an email from us, what do I want them to feel? I want them to feel a sense of pride that they, they bought from the right company. I want them to feel a sense of kinship with us that they, that there's human beings behind this company. It's not just some faceless brand or someone, something that, you know, exists only to sell you shit. 
And so, you know, I, I want people to, and so like, if you, if you're writing an email to me, cause you want to work with me, what do you want me to feel? You want me to feel like if I don't hire this person, uh, that's a mistake. Like, you know what I mean? You want, you want me to feel as almost a sense of FOMO if, if it doesn't happen. And so, you know, I think that like understanding the feeling of the reader or of the listener that you're trying to go for will help you become a better writer. Have you set a group of values for your company to stand by? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they all start with the letter A. And the last one is actually assonance and alliteration. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, like I like to make fun of the organizational values thing a little bit. Because like, you know, as a recruiter, I, so I, I can list them for you if you want. But like, there's just, you know, achieve, achieve your business and life goals, actively make other people happy. Uh, alleviate the world's problems, you know, always be kind. Uh, there's a, there's a few other ones, but the, you know, I like that because it's, it's who I am and and that's what I want. I want to work with people like that, you know, ambitious, kind, smart, fun people who like, you know, just want to, they don't want work to be their only thing in life. They want it to be a, a, I want, I always, I actually always thought about this about jobs is that like oftentimes a job is a detractor from one's life. Like you have to work, you have to go in. And I always wanted SMG to be additive to people's lives. I I wanted it to be something, maybe not that they looked forward to necessarily, but I wanted to be something to where they, they felt better because they worked here than if they didn't. So uh, yeah, our values are, are those and then accidents and alliteration because I like to make fun of the corporate stuff sometimes. And, and I don't, I don't know. I, I think about like Amazon's core values. And I think about like Bridgewater Associates, like Ray Dalio's principles, like, which is where I used to work. Then I think about stuff like that and, and how, what's the right word? Like full of shit it is sometimes. <laughs> I searched my brain for the right vocabulary and I came, up, I came, up, I came up with, yeah. So all these corporations, some of them are just full of shit. But yeah, I just don't, I don't like the, uh, the like raw, raw, like here are, here are our core values. Like, oh, you're not, you're not behaving in essence with our corporation's values. Like that stuff is such bullshit. And now how do you, you were saying you still got a small team and, and you're at the point where you're still you know, within your own circles, but is there a particular type of people that you're specifically looking for outside of the skill set that they would need for whatever role that you were trying to fill? Yeah. So, so I, I know I was just making fun of Bridgewater a second ago. Uh, good, good nature fun. I, I worked there. I got fired pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they actually have a, a couple of things around hiring that I think are extremely useful and valuable that I've taken with me. So they hire around values, abilities, and then skills in that order. And I, and I do the same thing. So I hire people who share my values and who mm-hmm. share the team's values. And then I hire people who are very high abilities, who I think can take on a lot and who are quick and who can learn. And then I, and then, you know, if they have a skill set, great, but they're going to expand it while they're at the company. And that's where the values and abilities come in because with the amount of work and the amount of tasks that I give people in terms of like, Hey, here are your goals and they're pretty aggressive goals. They, they're going to be stretched pretty thin and they're, and they're going to learn a lot of new stuff. Got it. Has there been an example of when you're looking for those values aligned 
applicants that uh, values align talent. How can one stand out in that process by showing that that, that they do have those same values? Hmm. That's a good question. Yes, they can, but usually it'll come through in a conversation. As a recruiter, you start to look at resumes as just kind of like names on a page and, you know, people can embellish a lot and, you know, make shit up. So I find that like, if somebody has an interesting resume and they write me an interesting email, then I like to hop on the phone with them and talk to them a little bit and get to know them. And uh, if they, if they get to know us, then, and you know, and basically that, that authenticity will shine through. Like, I think that myself included human beings can smell bullshit like a mile away. And especially in 2021, we're kind of all trained to, you know, be wary of the influencer or the, you know, the politician. And, uh, and so it's, it's actually, I think, something that just shines through in an interview. The, the number one thing somebody can do ahead of time is they can probably, like, it would be funny if, like, on somebody's resume, I've actually always wanted somebody to do this. Like, put a bullet point, like, three quarters of the way down the resume that says, like, just checking to make sure you're still reading. Like, yeah. take, like take a screenshot of this and send it to me, and, like, I'll, I'll, I'll send you, a, you know, a $5 Starbucks gift card or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've always wanted somebody to, like, have have those guts to like do something a little zany and crazy with their with their resume or like and then I also really like it when people write emails that are like in the in the tone of the culture that they're trying to join so you know not overly formal for us and just kind of you know hey this looks really interesting love, love the company would love to work together you know congrats on x y and z or whatever so they just make sure that you personalize it as well yeah and yeah. take your advice what you we're saying before what you did back in the day as a as a recruiter, you took the time to actually go get some background. Yeah, more 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 is more. Yeah, more more like like maybe not in terms of like quantity of words, but like I think that like the the more you can show it up front that like you belong at this company is is the best way to to do it. And and you know I've given a lot of advice on this. I don't know if you saw, but I have I have a post on Reddit on the job subreddit. That's the number one or number two all time post that has my resume template in it for people. Oh, and, wow. and uh, yeah, it's like a really, you know, I, I thought it was a pretty simple format, but people, people you know, loved it. They lost their minds over it, but it's been downloaded 2 million times. So it's probably, it's probably oh, become wow. a pretty standard <laughs> format nowadays. And I, and I did it because I couldn't stand people selling stuff like this to people, like in terms of like, give me 150 bucks and I'll like, you know, do your right. resume for you or whatever. It's like, no, like just, just help people with their resume. You know, like these are people without jobs. Like I don't want to charge somebody 150 bucks if they're trying to make a resume, you know? So, uh, it blew up and I've answered a lot of questions. People have had about this, about cover letters and emails and reaching out. And I've done an, an, an AMA on there and people have a lot of questions about this stuff because it, it's pretty esoteric. I'm going to find that subreddit i'm going to get the links to that and if you have the link to the ama as well i'm going yeah, to include if, it in the show you notes so. com slash resume it'll redirect you to the blog post that i originally oh, wrote beautiful. about it yeah yeah awesome we're going to include that in the in the link <laughs> i wrote that i wrote that so long ago i wrote that in february 2018 we because i i basically launched the company in january and yeah. and in february <laughs> I wrote a blog post called Sheets and Giggles is the fastest growing startup in Colorado. And then it was, you know, tongue in cheek. It was like, because when you start with zero and you add three, 
like you're growing at an infinity percent <laughs> percent rate. And then it was about like, stop sending us your resume. It was a joke. It was like, we've gotten so many, stop sending them to us. And, and, and I basically just knew that like the content would be received well. And so the blog post was sort of a, a way to then do the Reddit post and have it um, attached to the company. So that way people would get the brand impression, a positive brand impression. And now if you search on Google for sheets and giggles, you'll see sheets and giggles resume is one of the things that pops up, which is funny because we're a betting company. So like, <laughs> why are we known for it? I love this brand so much, man. It's like, it's the most bizarre. I call it the Seinfeld of brands because <laughs> we can, we literally like, like, you know, they would do one episode about waiting in line at a Chinese restaurant and the next episode about losing your car in a parking lot. And the next, and, and it, it's literally whatever we want the brand to be on any given daily, weekly, monthly basis. We can just do it and people expect us to be all over the place. And, and it's, yeah. it's just such a bizarre brand voice. Right. But it's like still consistent though, yeah. right? Because yeah. that's what you're known for. Yeah. It's a, it's a brand about nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's, it's like a show, a show about nothing. It's great. Right. Okay. And last question, where can folks get these sheets? Where's the best place to buy them? Uh, if, you, if anyone wants to order Sheets and Giggles, you can just Google us or, or go on Amazon. And the website is sheetsgiggles.com. And uh, it's pretty easy to find us. Yeah. <laughs> we're, the, we're the only betting it, brand uh, that's a pun. So, <laughs> And uh, what about puns in emails and resumes? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, I think more humor should be used everywhere. I think, I think yeah. that people, you know, we've almost, there's never been a funnier time to be alive and there's never been a less funny time to be alive. And, and I think that like, you know, the line in the last year, especially between work and personal has blurred so much, right? We're doing this from our bedrooms. Yeah. And I, and I actually love that because I think that people hate commuting, not because they are driving or they're in traffic, I think they hate commuting because they're spending 30 minutes psychologically putting on a different face than they are in their normal lives versus who they are at work. And so I tell my team that very, very specifically. I'm like, I want you to be you. You don't have to use big words. You don't have to sound smart. You don't have to, you know, like uh, uh, treat people with kid gloves or ask, Hey, can I give you feedback or whatever? Like just, you know, talk to your coworkers and to me as if you were talking to a friend or a family member or a significant other, maybe not, you know, like in the creepier way, but like, you know, just in a, <laughs> in a, a very normal, like, uh, who you are at home should be who you are at work. And it's made our, I think our quality of life so great because there's no, you know, there's, there's no need to impress me or like, or, or no need to impress one another. It's just people who are working on something they find interesting and so, yeah, in puns and, and resumes or in cover letters, more humor is better. Like, be yourself. And, and, the, and the good part is, is that, like, if you're yourself and a company says they don't want to hire you, that's good. Because you, you don't want to have to be someone you're not just to, to work somewhere. I love that. Colin, thank you so much, man. It's been so much fun talking with you. Yeah, man, this is great. Thanks for chatting with me. Okay, so first thing you have to do is check the show notes. I've linked to the subreddit Colin was talking about where he shared his resume template. Remember, Colin was a former headhunter, so he knows what makes a good resume. 
There were so many things Colin said that I absolutely love. In particular, his advice of first thinking about how do you want that other person to feel when they are reading or watching whatever you sent them. Once you have that in mind, then go about telling your story. And take Colin up on his challenge. Next time you're sending out your resume, try something a little different. Hiring managers and recruiters see thousands of applications, so think about how you can appropriately get noticed. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe. We have new episodes each week. I'd love for you to stick around. Thanks for listening. Keep on doing you. I'll see you next time.